This episode is sponsored by Bow Lake, the most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Visit bowlake.com and learn more. That's B-E-A-U lake.com. Bow is French for beautiful. B-E-A-U lake.com. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. When it comes to Italian supercars, we think of Lamborghini and Ferrari. And when it comes to Italian luxury sports motorcycles, we think of Ducati. Ducati started manufacturing motorcycles more than 70 years ago in Bologna, Italy. Over the years, Ducati motorcycles have evolved into internationally coveted dream machines known for their precision engineering, lightning speed, and sleek design. Ducati also has a strong foothold on the racing track and is renowned for its record-breaking success in motorsports in the racing world. My guest on the luxury item is Jason Chinock, CEO of Ducati North America. In his role as CEO, Chinock oversees Ducati Motorcycles' largest global sales market. He pushes the brand into new product segments and disrupting the industry to adopt new technologies for innovation and safety and performance. After being recruited by Ducati North America in 2004, Chinock was elevated to director positions in sales, marketing, and network development. After Ducati was purchased by Audi AG in 2012, he moved to sister brand Lamborghini to establish and oversee marketing and communications initiatives in North America. In 2016, Chinock returned to Ducati North America to lead the company as CEO. Welcome to the luxury item, Jason. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. So Ducati Motorcycles has a long legacy stemming back almost a century to the company's founding in 1926. And so for the listeners out there who aren't enthusiasts, but know that Ducati makes fast and beautiful motorcycles, can you share like a brief overview of the Ducati brand and what makes it fundamentally different? It's a great question because this is something that I'm asked all the time, especially from those people who really aren't familiar with uh, what goes in to a Ducati motorcycle, and actually who we are as a brand, because we are more than just the machine itself. But speaking to the machine, uh, our motorcycles, they're really known for their performance, distinctive design, and the advanced technology that we use on our motorcycle. And there are some definitely key features that differentiate Ducati from uh, other motorcycles out there. Uh, One of them is the valve actuating system that's used in a lot of our motorcycles. It's called the Desmodromic Valve Actuating System. And what it does is it's a very unique system that allows for more precise engine control and higher revving capabilities. Now, we've actually broadened uh, the use of not only Desmo, but non-Desmo valve trains as well for different applications. But this is something that we've been utilizing for racing for many years and on our higher performance motorcycles, it's quite common. The engine itself, whether it's a V4 or an L-twin, they provide this very unique sound and optimal delivery of power. And even um, the V4 that we have, it fires in an order. We call it a twin pulse firing order. So it has characteristics very similar to that of, uh, of a twin. And then our distinctive design, which really is not only this elegance and beauty that you would expect from an Italian company, But there's also uh, a very important focus that's put on the aerodynamics of the motorcycle, which leads to the performance, 
the electronics that we have on our motorcycle, we use advanced electronics like traction control, riding modes, quick shifters. And for the first time in a production series motorcycle on the Multistrada V4, we actually adapted blind spot detection radar on with a motorcycle that gives you blind spot detection and then also uh, cruise control functionality. And then our heritage and our heritage is very heavily rooted in racing. And we have a very long history in motorcycle racing. And uh, there's no question that it's within our DNA and a very important part of who we are as a brand. But what's great is it's not just racing for the sake of entertainment, but the technology that we derive from what we learn in racing makes its way down to our production series motorcycles. So not only do people have something to cheer on the weekend, but they also get to take a piece of that home and experience it themselves. So 2022 confirmed itself as an exceptional year for Ducati. You passed the 60,000 bikes sold mark for the first time, and you broke 1 billion euros in revenue. And more recently, in Q1 of this year, you posted a record number of motorcycles delivered. Ducati CEO Claudio Giamonicali said in an article that the strong results confirm a company strategy that is paying off with a great outcome. What strategy is he attributing to Ducati's strong performance? Well, historically, Ducati has been set up as, let's say, a premium brand or a premium uh, motorcycle manufacturer within the uh, arena of the industry, of the motorcycle industry. But over the last couple of years, we've reevaluated that, really made a conscious effort to shift our brand positioning from, let's say, that of a premium brand to that of an upper premium uh, bordering on luxury. And I think that if you we're going to make a comparison to something that's familiar for, with a lot of people. Uh, that would be a brand similar to Porsche, where they are consistent with who they are as a brand with the sporting DNA of all of their products. But they've, they've gradually moved the brand to that upper echelon. And it's very interesting when we looked at the motorcycle industry, realized that we're kind of in our own area. We have our own space now, uh, which allows us to... Uh, take a couple specific actions. I mean, there's some many components that are involved with the strategy, but a couple of key ones I would suggest to, to discuss are the product, as we mentioned a little bit before, really making sure that we focus on the highest quality, the best technology, the newest technology, the fit, finish, performance, and then something that sometimes gets missed, but it's really important is the ownership experience and making sure when somebody actually, when they have take ownership of that motorcycle, the client, gets an experience that's commensurate with what they would expect from the brand. And we've also really focused on uh, our client relationships as well, including launching uh, a top client program last year, where we identify those top clients. We provide them special experiences, access to special product. Uh, we've also moved into providing experiences for our clients, not just the training and going to the races, but travel experiences, You know, an opportunity to take a Ducati motorcycle and have this incredible experience traveling through, whether it be, uh, you know, re recently, I think we just did Patagonia. We have uh, one coming up in the US here shortly. And then there's of course in Europe as well. And then lastly, that component is really trying to improve the retail experience. And that's when the client walks in or the prospective client walks in that they have a consistency in their experience, yet we have proper coverage as well in order to ensure that they uh, it's convenient for them as a client. So 
those are some of the key elements of our of our strategy that we've really been focusing on over the last few years. And uh, it's been put into uh, into top speed in the last couple of years with the intent of utilizing this as an opportunity for us to differentiate ourselves beyond just the product, but actually also in the industry itself. And what has been the most successful motorcycle for Ducati? You know, that's a, that's a, I like that question because I had a chance like, thinking about this. You know, success can be measured in so many different ways. When I look at, um, you know, success on the racetrack, which there's that old adage where you race on mm-hmm. Sunday, sell on Monday. Uh, our Panigale range has been a tremendous success, whether it be the V4 or the V2, which we just recently won a championship in the U.S. with the Supersport and the Panigale V2. And those motorcycles, while they aren't necessarily the motorcycle that's for everybody uh, in the real world, they're for those enthusiasts that want to have that little bit of sport. But we also, the great news is that that a lot of that trickled down to the rest of the models in our lineup, as I mentioned previously. So I, tr- I, I look at that model of the Panigale range as really the halo product that influences everything else. But then when I see how Ducati has been able to expand uh, the Multistrada motorcycle, uh, which has been out, uh, I mean, it's been, we're, with, we're in our fifth generation, fourth or fifth generation now. I measure the success also in the fact of bringing so many new clients to Ducati. And that's a model that's been a tremendous success for us. What is the appeal of the Multistrada? The appeal, you know, the Multistrada is Italian for meaning multiple roads. And so here's a motorcycle that if you can just have one motorcycle can do everything really well whether it's two up uh, traveling across the country with your significant other. Um, and it's evolved to the point where now, if let's say you uh, find yourself uh, on a dirt road and you want to explore where this fire road goes, you can, but then the second that road ends and it becomes asphalt, it turns into that super bike, but a very comfortable, practical, dare I say, practical super bike as well. And so you, it's this appeal where you have, Let's say that sporting DNA that you would expect from Ducati, but the comfort and capability of a long distance touring motorcycle that can even do a a little bit of light off road. And that's, I mean, you get that emotional connection with this motorcycle and the way that it's evolved over the years. I mean, the, the motorcycle now is unquestionably the best it's ever been. And it's brought so many people, let's say that were curious about Ducati or they believed they don't make a motorcycle for me. And they see this motorcycle and they realize, no, that's something I can ride. That's, I can be part of that. I don't have to, you know, be bent over the handlebars uh, in a crouching position to enjoy it. I can actually ride it comfortably and even have a passenger and do a little bit of travel if you want. So Ducati is present in over 90 countries with a widespread sales network. I think your top markets are number one, Italy, which is the home base in the United States, I think then Germany. Can you talk about the importance of the U.S. market for Ducati and what are your future expansion plans in the U.S.? So the U.S. is usually head to head with Italy competing for the number one global market. In fact, uh, we were the number one global market in 21 and in 22, unfortunately, we lost our place to Italy, our first place to Italy due to just product availability. and some of the supply chain shortages that we're, we were struggling with at the beginning of last year. So we're always neck and neck and always competing in a very healthy way for that. Uh, but you can imagine with us 
going head to head with the uh, with the home market, that uh, the U.S. is a very very important market, especially outside of Europe. And you also think that the U.S. is highly influential in terms of trends as well. And so a lot of the things that happen here eventually make their way into other markets as well later in, in many years down the road. And you know, while our products aren't designed specifically for the market, the good thing is, is that we have the opportunity to take the U.S. into consideration when it comes to the development of some of the product and understanding some of the features of our models to ensure that it can be applicable to the U.S. market as well. Um, and in terms of expansion, um, this is interesting. You know, our strategy isn't necessarily set to a fixed number of um, dealership locations across the U.S., uh, our strategy is to ensure that we have the best possible market coverage uh, in order to support the clients, but it's also to ensure it's a viable market because we want our dealer, who is our partner in this, to be profitable. And if they're profitable, we know that they will invest in delivering the best experiences for our clients. And uh, our dealer network is a little over 130 dealers in the U.S. right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I said, there isn't a fixed number because the markets evolve. Uh, as we've even seen post-pandemic, there were, you know, there was a lot of people moving from major cities out to the country. And so markets that, that weren't viable five years ago are now showing to be of interest. So for us, we just want to make sure that we're delivering the best possible experience. Uh, and in, but also providing coverage and support for those clients. And as our product uh, portfolio grows, and we do have some expansion plans in the future, which is a bit premature for me to get into that topic. But the point is, is that when we bring in new products to market, it will also open up the possibility of us being able to expand our network as well. If we see that now it's there's a market that would be appropriate for us to have a location. And there are lots of motorcycle buying markets in the U.S., but many of them are dominated by riders who prefer brands like Harley-Davidson or Honda or Yamaha. What do you look for in a local U.S. market that shows an opportunity to increase Ducati's presence there? We measure um, what's called Ducati relevant market. And so for every one of the motorcycles that we have in our lineup, we identify what would be the most reasonable competitor to that, uh, to that specific product. And then we evaluate what our share is in that specific market. And then we make some assumptions based on our average shares across the US. And just to give you an idea, in the over 500 cc, that means motorcycles that are over 500 cc cubic centimeters in capacity, which is let's say most on highway market, most on highway motorcycles, um, we have trending anywhere between a 3.5 to 3.7% share. So if we look into a market and we evaluate that, that opportunity, we refer to it as lost sales, and we evaluate our, our market share and determine, you know, is there enough volume here to sustain a healthy, profitable dealership where it would make sense for us to point a point one based on the competitors that are in the market and actually the competitor sales, I should say. So it's a bit, a bit uh, complicated probably to discuss uh, on the call, but that hopefully gives you an idea where we really just try to understand what the market opportunity is based on what our competitors are doing and how we perform there. In most cases, you know, we don't perform very well if we don't have a dealership in the area, but we also need to make sure it's 
a large enough volume opportunity to make it viable for it to be a profitable business. And what type of challenges does the U.S. market present in comparison to the Italian or European or British markets? Well, I'm not in the best position to answer the other questions about the other markets because I'm not necessarily experienced. I can only speak to what I know from what my colleagues share. Uh, but I could tell you that something that's quite unique to the U.S. is that uh, the U.S. is dominated by one brand. 50% of the on-highway sales are one brand and also primarily one segment of motorcycling, and that's cruisers. Uh, and that is very unique. There's really no other uh, market in the world, any large market in the, in the world that has that sort of dominance by a single brand. And so that does influence a lot of people's perception of motorcycling in the U.S. Everybody, when they think of a motorcycle, they think of the cruiser. And so for us, it's a matter of getting the mind share of uh, explaining to people that there are other motorcycles that are out there besides just the cruiser segments. And, you know, it's a completely different type of riding style, a different emotion and connection that you have with that type of a motorcycle. Uh, and in fact, we do have a couple of motorcycles that technically fit into the cruiser category, and that's the Diablo and the X Diablo. Uh, but those models are still so, uh, so steeped with Ducati's DNA that uh, we are on the fringe of that. So it's a matter of opening people's minds to the fact that there's different types of motorcycling out there besides just cruising as well. And uh, we've done this. We've gone to different events and allowed people to test ride their motorcycles and have that comparison. Uh, but, you know, people buy different motorcycles for different reasons. Here, motorcycles are entertainment in the U.S. It's rarely transportation. Some people use it uh, claim transportation uh, in order to justify the purchase with their significant other. But the reality is, is that we buy motorcycles to have fun. And uh, I would say the majority of people that do that in first world countries, but um, but here it generally is just something for fun. It's a bit self-indulgent, fun thing to do on your with your free time and your discretionary spending, and which makes it truly a luxury. Uh, and so for us, it's a matter of how do we connect with people so that they understand that we're an option for that as well. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Jason Chinock. Bow Lake Kim, Rocky Shore. I will return once more. Yes, I will. Boom, diddy, boom, boom. Boom, diddy, boom, boom, boom. All right. The world's most beautiful paddle boards. Bow Lake. The water is calling. We're back with more from Jason Chinock. You know, every business where there's a consumer involved, you need to constantly innovate and excite your consumer about your brand, about your product. How does Ducati do that? Well, that starts... I think with the product and we have over the last few years um, started launching uh, what are world premieres of our product. You know, we have lots of investment. I mean, the, the, the amount of euros that we invest into new product isn't kind of mind boggling when you think about it, because we want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge. So having that investment of product, that's always pushing the tech tech, 
forward, but still having an just stunning design. I mean, those things are the things that excite people, you know, to have that performance, to have that power, to have the technology. And what it does is it gives people an opportunity to feel like that they are a superhero or an athlete themselves. Um, and then every fall we put together a series of premieres on where we focus on each product and we take people behind the scenes in the development of the product, talking to the designers and the engineers through a video series. It's been very successful. In fact, it was a big change instead of doing everything at a international motorcycle show where all the products unveiled and it comes out in a big press release. We've really given people an opportunity to kind of deep dive and learn so much about the product and the brand because you learn about the product to me about the brand through the product and the people that are behind it and giving them a chance to really have that kind of connection with uh, what we're doing. And it's a story to tell as well. So that's one of the things that we do, but also it's important that we engage people in the use of the product as well. And that's through some of the different experiences, whether they be riding experiences or track days or events that we host in the winter uh, we do a Ready for Red tour. This is a tour that's like a national product tour. We travel across the country and host an evening for Ducati clients or prospective clients that, that allow us, us to connect directly with them to see the new products, but also to share with them what we have planned for the year. And either myself or our marketing director for North America presented every single one of these. So it's important for us to be present and um, people have a great time, you know, some good hors d'oeuvres and some drinks. And they get very excited during the winter months for the summer season to come. I want to talk about measuring success. So what quantitative and qualitative metrics are really important to you in measuring success? Obviously, you look at the number of motorcycles delivered. And if the dealers are selling bikes at MSRP, what else do you look at? Do you ever look at, you know, measure desirability of the brand? We have a couple of different uh, KPIs that we measure, you know, when it comes to the sales performance, uh, was sharing before market share is probably one of our biggest single indicators. And that helps us understand our performance within the market and within the U.S. and how we're competing, how we're performing against our competitors. So that, that gives us a very good idea because at the end of the day, that's what we're taking home. Um, but there's other things that let's say are a little bit more soft. One, we, uh, we measure a brand performance indicator, which helps us understand uh, our brand in comparison to just say other brands out there in the world, outside of the world of motorcycling and where we rank there and where we're weak and where we're strong. And the idea is, is we wanna keep the strength in those areas that we do very well, for example, loyalty, but when it comes to things that we are still struggling with and it's just general awareness. And I shared with you earlier that partially due to the U.S. market being largely dominated by the cruiser segment, the, our world of motorcycling isn't necessarily in, uh, something in their consideration set. So it's important for us to understand where it is that we are challenged, and then we put together a specific action plan in order to address those areas of opportunity. And the last key indicator that we utilize, we refer to, I'm sure you've heard this before, is net promoter score. Yep. That is NPS is so important because at the end of the day, you know, well, of course there's buying the motorcycle, but you know, would you recommend Ducati, your, whether it be the product, the dealership experience, your service experience, the brand, would you re recommend them to a friend? And with 
our uh, net promoter score, whenever we identify someone that's raised their hand as a detractor, uh, then we as the executive team, we reach out directly to each one of the detractors. Hmm. And we do everything that we can that makes sense to recover the detractor. We actually call it a detractor recovery project. And we do everything we can to try and resolve it. And you know, what's amazing is, is that we're very successful at turning those detractors into promoters. Uh, I mean, I would confidently say nine out of 10 uh, are recovered. And most of them just want somebody to listen. (laughs) Most people, if they have a challenge or a problem, and you know, we're, while we are uh, a company that is driven to be successful and professional, there are things that happen along the way. And I'm not afraid of a problem. And I encourage our team to not be afraid of problems. It's how we deal with them and how we learn from them. And uh, we are, we're able to recover them quite well. And that to me, I'm very proud of that point because not only do we recognize, but we grasp the nettle is a term that I use with my team. And that is, you know, don't shy away from something that looks to be a problem or bad. Just go embrace it, take care of it. Because if not, it's just going to fester and it's going to get worse. And that's something that uh, we're very proactive with that. And I mean, I, I have people reach out to me all the time through social media networks. If they have a problem, even though we have a client service department, we connect the dots with them right away because we know that that experience is going to differentiate us uh, from the rest of the motorcycling world because we are enthusiasts ourselves and love what we do. And we also understand the impact if you have an experience that wasn't what you expected or might fall short of what your expectations are. So it's our job to do our best to recover that. So what is the profile of a typical Ducati owner and why are they attracted to the brand? The profile of a typical Ducati owner is difficult. I mean, uh, you know, I can look at our client surveys and, um, and every time I look at something like that, uh, I basically learn a little bit new. Um, but I would say it's less demographic and more, and more of um, a sociographic in terms of how they, what they do with their time. And our owners are passionate about life. They're enthusiasts. Um, they, they're usually risk takers to some degree. I mean, most motorcyclists are, but I think ours are ratcheted up a couple extra degrees. You know, when you buy a motorcycle, it's not a rational purchase. It's definitely an irrational purchase. And they're very passionate about not only motorcycling, but Ducati motorcycling. And, you know, as a, as somebody that's passionate, uh, we refer to our owners, our clients sometimes as our, as fans and, you know, fan comes from the root fanatic. (laughs) Uh, and, and as a fanatic, you know, it can go either way. So it's so important, uh, when you have somebody that is such a fan of our brand in order to uh, manage the brand and their expectations accordingly. And, um, it's, we see that. Uh, we have a great sense of loyalty and also something that I'm very encouraged by is uh, evangelism within Ducati owners as well. And that is, you know, they're so excited about the Ducati brand. They want to bring their friends in. They want to encourage more people to be part of it. And that's something that as a, the North American CEO, I, I want that more than anything. You know, I, even though I know that uh, it's going to make life probably more complicated 
And uh, it is something that we love so much. We want to make sure that we give everybody an opportunity to experience that same passion and joy that we get when we ride a Ducati motorcycle and we are part of that community. The Ducati sales triumphs come on the back of a strong performance in the racing world as well. Ducati also claimed two major superbike racing titles last year at two of the top motorcycle championships, MotoGP and World Superbike. From what I understand, the MotoGP championship titles was Ducati's first since 2007, ending a 15 years of dominance by Japanese motorcycle manufacturers. Why the long drought? Well, I'm not on the racing side, but I can tell you from an enthusiast, maybe with a little bit of insider understanding uh, of of that world uh, of MotoGP, you know, our the MotoGP motorcycles on those first developments of the motorcycles were very difficult for a lot of the riders to ride. And in fact, the gentleman, Casey Stoner, who won that championship for us in 2007, he was an incredible rider that could pretty much ride every, anything. So while it was a spectacular motorcycle, it was, think about it like a, uh, like a wild horse or an untamed horse. And from that point, when uh, following that championship, you know, there was a lot of development on the motorcycle. And I think the, the motorcycle, from my perspective, almost had an identity crisis because we had a very clear idea of who we were when we first entered into MotoGP and what we were going to do. Yet it wasn't delivering the results until 20, 2007. Over those years, there was a lot of testing and figuring out what would work to make the motorcycle easy to ride. You know, much easier, much more manageable to ride. Because when it's easier to ride, then the rider rides with more confidence. And when the rider rides with more confidence, they push themselves and they push the bike a little bit further, a little bit further. And it's really interesting because that same approach has been applied to our product today. And in fact, there's ergonomic adjustments in terms of the shape of the gas tank where your legs hold on to it in our Panigale range and our Street Fighter range that have specifically been designed in order to make, make it more comfortable for the rider, which gives them more confidence. And so the long drought was that it was just a long road in order for us to get there to develop the product in order to become an easier motorcycle for people to ride. And this is also why if you see on the podiums these days, it's not just one guy riding a Ducati that gets on the top of the box. You actually, there'll be times where it'll be two Ducatis and sometimes a full sweep mm. of Ducatis in positions one, two, three. It's because it's not one person that's figured out how to ride this motorcycle. It's our engineers and the designers have figured out how to make a motorcycle where lots of people can ride. So then it comes down to the skill of the rider. Um, and so that's something that's, I, I mean, I've, I've talked to some of the engineers and I've watched, you know, race by race by race, you know, how we improve year by year by a 10th of a second. And it's amazing. You know, it's that, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. So every little bit that we made, every little change that we made, every little refinement, you know, some changes take you forward and some changes take you two steps back. And regardless, we've gotten to the point where now we have a spectacular product, spectacular race motorcycle that it's now about the rider. You know? So that's that's really an interesting way to see how it's evolved from 2007, where we had a good motorcycle, but we had a great rider. Pretty much every industry is tripping over itself to get millennials wallets. The motorcycle business is no different. 
some iconic motorcycle brands are struggling to attract young riders, current set of brand enthusiasts age. So what is Ducati doing to attract the new crop of riders it needs to grow the brand? Ducati is in an interesting position. And we were talking earlier about the brand strategy. You know, we, we aren't really in an entry-level um, product, an entry-level brand. People don't come to Ducati thinking that's going to be necessarily their first motorcycle. Right. Um, now, there are some motorcycles that allow entry into the Ducati brand, like the Ducati Monster. Very easy to ride, very approachable. Uh, you can power, change the power so you can lower the power. And then as you evolve and grow as a rider. Um, but from a matter of bringing new people, new riders, uh, you know, we are, we're generally a little bit further down the uh, chain or higher up the pole, if you will, in terms of ownership experience. People have usually had one or two motorcycles by the time they come to Ducati. It's a bit much more aspirational. And we actually really like occupying that space. You know, we've evaluated the possibility of bringing out a lower price point entry level product uh, with the idea of potentially uh, using that as a tool to bring in new riders. The challenge is, is in order for us to do that, that has to come at a price point that we're not willing to do because we can't do it correctly. We're not confident that we could build a Ducati that is worthy of wearing the Ducati badge and the logo that will not pull down you know our flagship bikes or the other bikes in the lineup right so that's a big risk and you know when you think about a brand we're talking about porsche there's there's an entry-level porsche is a pre-owned porsche usually right and you know you're you, there's not a thirty thousand um, dollar you know walk in the door and get yourself a new porsche that's just not the way it works and so that's we find ourselves in that same aspirational position now, that being said, we do have a product line that's a sub-product, a sub-brand of Ducati, and that's Scrambler. And Scrambler, we, we separate it even as its own brand, if you will, within the Ducati world. And the great thing about Scrambler is it is relatively inexpensive. Um, it's still not, let's say, uh, cheap in comparison to its uh, the competitive set, uh, probably a good 20 30% higher. But it does still have the technology and the performance that people would expect of a bit of a classic Ducati. And also from a matter of design, it's approachable. When you see one, it doesn't look intimidating. It doesn't look like you have to be a professional. It just looks fun. And for people new to motorcycling, or even those that have returned to motorcycling, the Scrambler has been a great tool for us to be able to do that. And we can do that without it you know, having any risk of, um, of pulling down the Ducati brand because it's a sub-brand. Um, and that, that has been a very good success for us in terms of bringing people new to motorcycling. And as I mentioned before, one of the, the best ones that I've seen is just people returning back to motorcycling as well. Uh, because there's a lot of people that had motorcycles, let's say when they were younger, and then life happens. <laughs> Whether it be, you know, I got married, had kids, decided to give right. up the motorcycle. Right. And then empty nesters, and all of a sudden, I want to get a motorcycle again. And sometimes their ambition is to jump on, you know, a Multistrada V4 with 160 plus horsepower. But in reality, coming back into motorcycling, a Scrambler Icon is the perfect bike to usher yourself back into motorcycling. 
In a recent interview, you were asked about Ducati building an electric motorcycle. You said that it's going to be some years before Ducati has a consumer electric motorcycle because the battery technology really isn't there. Yet, in a statement in 2019, your CEO said Ducati's future is in electric. Is the state of battery technology just not up to Ducati's standards of performance and energy storage? It definitely isn't there. And this is something that's quite unique in the world of motorcycling in comparison to automotive, which, you know, people make that comparison to automotive too easily. Uh, and you, we, the thing that is the primary consideration that we have is what's referred to as energy density. And right now, an internal combustion engine and traditional gasoline fuel actually has a much higher energy density than batteries, than the battery technology that's currently available on the market. Uh, and ultimately what that means, if you take a motorcycle, let's say like the Panigale V2, um, which is our middleweight superbike, and you want, and let's call that roughly 400 pounds, I know it's a bit less, but in order for you to make that motorcycle perform at the same level um, in terms of range and in perf and performance and top horsepower, uh, the motorcycle is going to weigh over 700 pounds. And that immediately is going to compromise the performance of the motorcycle. Right. Because with the batteries in an automotive, in a car application, the batteries are usually laid flat, very low center of gravity in the floorboards of a car. With a motorcycle, you really have one place to go <laughs> and you have to go up. Right. Um, and so as a result, that changes the handling of the motorcycle dramatically, not only the weight, but the handling. So you're not going to get a good experience. And we need to ensure that if somebody is going to have an electric Ducati, that it has to deliver that experience as a Ducati. Once again, as I mentioned before, we're not dealing in transportation. This is not a scooter to get you from point A to point B. This is something people do for fun. And there's an expectation that they have when they come to Ducati brand, and we have to deliver on that. Now, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur and say it's never going to happen, because it is. The technology is rapidly evolving, rapidly developing. And in fact, we have invested heavily into the Moto E series, building, uh, the, being the sole supplier for basically the e-motorcycle e version of MotoGP. And we're utilizing this as a rolling R&D lab for our ability to learn about this technology. In fact, we designed a very specific battery application where our batteries are a series of cells that run along a carbon frame as well to be able to help with the distribution of the weight um, and, and also making it a stressed member almost of, of the entire vehicle with the frame in there. So we're investing very heavily into understanding the technology. And there's also a lot of new things that are on the horizon in terms of battery tech. But you know, the, the last point I wanna make that a lot of people find this confusing. You know, our objective is not to build an electric motorcycle. That's not the single objective. Our objective is to reduce our carbon footprint, that's it. And there are many ways to do that. An electric motorcycle is one of the ways probably a very expeditious way, assuming the technology is there for us to apply. But there are other alternative fuels. There's lots of other technologies that can be considered as well that will help us do that. And that's really our goal uh, in terms of being a sustainable, you know, environmentally responsible company is to be able to reduce our carbon footprint. So while 
E is one option. You know, we're definitely researching many other options in the interim until that can become viable. Ducati and Lamborghini have built a strong relationship over the last few years. And just recently, you partnered with Lamborghini on a joint museum experience. Can you talk about how this collaborative project came about and what are you hoping visitors to the museum will come away with about the two brands? Well, I have a unique perspective because I spent some years working for Lamborghini as the uh, general manager of marketing for the Americas. And uh, it was very interesting because, you know, Ducati and Lamborghini are both uh, in Emilia-Romagna, which is uh, one of my favorite parts of Italy that's probably underappreciated and undervisited typically with the exception of uh, gearheads in the Motor <laughs> Valley, which the area is referred to as. Um, I, I, I really don't know exactly how the project came about, uh, with the exception that a lot of our colleagues work together. In fact, culturally, the organizations are very similar. They're 20 minutes apart from each other. And it not only does it make good sense, but it reinforces each one of the brand's unique characteristics. And, you know, I my time at Lamborghini was, it was an incredible experience, but it was definitely a very distinctively different company, not just because of it being automotive, but because of you know, its original founder uh, and how much of a maverick he was and how much that drove uh, his, uh, the evolution of the business and where it's cut to today. And that spirit is still alive there. Um, so I think what people will come away with is uh, that there is this rich heritage in the Motor Valley for things with wheels that go fast. <laughs> and to have this experience between these two museums I mean, it's a very inspiring experience. I, I, I mean, I, I remember uh, when I first visited the Ducati Museum in 2000, I was over there on my honeymoon and uh, I convinced my, my new bride for us to drive from one side of Italy to the other and stop by uh, Borgo Penegale in Bologna on the way, which it really wasn't on the way, but we tried anyway, right. tried to convince her of that and she accepted it. But we drove right, we drove by, I went and took a tour of the museum and the factory and I was so inspired that I told her at that moment, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to change careers and <laughs> I, I want to go work full-time in the motorcycling business. And I think I want to work for Ducati. I mean, that's how inspiring it was for me. And, um, you know, if we could inspire future generations that, that happen to be coming through to take this tour, to be the leaders of these organizations and are motivated by you know, that purity of what's there, then I think it's a tremendous opportunity to bring these two together. So where do you want Ducati to be by 2025? Where do I want Ducati to be by 2025? This is, you know, we, we as an organization, we want to deliver the best possible experiences that we can on two wheels. That's, I think, to simplify it. You know, if we have profitable dealers, they take care of their, their customers and our clients, and us working together to deliver that best possible experience of a sport motorcycle. Because you think about all, there's lots of different motorcycles that people have uh, that are out there. But being able to be part of this community of the, Duc of the Ducati riders, uh, and to have a network that is just as passionate about us, about Ducati as we are, and clients as well, you know, I, our, my, my success or where I'd like to see us there is just to have a profitable, sustainable business that could take care of people uh, correctly and grow it in a very natural way. Um, 
that's a kind of a roundabout way to get to the answer. But, uh, you know, we, it's funny, I think in terms of, uh, we plan our business usually five years out in advance. And, um, as much as I enjoy Ducati and it's something I mentioned earlier, I would love for as many people to have the opportunity to have the Ducati experience as well. And, you know, this is something that we are not an exclusive brand where we want to exclude people, which is, you know, an interesting position for us to be. We're aspirational yet not exclusive, yet in that upper premium luxury segment. And the intention is, is that we want people to have that desire to learn about us and to be curious and then to take that step and have that experience. And I want as many people to be able to have that experience as possible. Um, but, you know, it's not for everybody as well. We know that. So my final question, Jason, is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation. So no amphibious Ducatis or anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to get you off that island. It's just you on a deserted island with palm trees, sand, and miles and miles of ocean, what would that one luxury item you would like to have with you? This is a very easy one for me. <laughs> I think probably some people would struggle with it, but uh, you know, what, do you, what would you want that would pass the time but keep you sharp, thinking, creative, inspired? I would want a custom-built, weatherproof Martin guitar Ooh. To sit out there under a palm tree, to write music, to get inspired, uh, and to pass the time. You know, I mean, and that that's something that uh, I've i played music on the side and I've, uh, written music for years. And it's one of the things that I enjoy. And usually moments of uh, tragedy inspire some of the best music and solitude. And I would think that that would be an incredible environment to be able to be in. Uh, to make the best out of that situation. And great choice of guitar brand. Jason Chinock, CEO of Ducati North America. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. It's my pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much for the invitation. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.